This is Hassle Talks, our podcast series exploring the rich mix of perspectives, collaboration and creativity we believe is so crucial to great design now and in the future. I'm Liz Westgarth, an architect based in Sydney, and like many of you listening, my colleagues here and in studios around the world are seeing some pretty significant changes happening around us. We don't know exactly what life, work and our communities will look like further down the track, but one thing we're sure about is that some of the trends that we saw developing over the last few years have only accelerated since the global pandemic took hold. These shifts all have implications for the way people are interacting with places, and that really presents an opportunity for designers. We've invited our good friend and collaborator, David Grant of Brickfields Consulting and a few global team members from Hassel to talk about how these issues are playing out in cities across the world. As consumer research experts, David and his team have been delving deeper into the trends to give our clients and designers extra insights into the people who use the places we create. We hope you enjoy the show. So Brickfields Consulting was set up 10 years ago and we work with a range of property owners and operators to help them understand how they can attract customers to their various places. One of the areas of research that we look into quite closely and we have done so for about eight years is looking at trends forecasting within the built environment. The built environment and property as a sector um, needs to plan on really long horizons and we're building buildings for you know, 30, 40, 50, maybe 100 years or more. Um, and we, we understand that in that space of time, a lot can change. I mean, even in eight months, the world has been turned upside down. So we need to be more aware um, of the change that can take place in a period of time and therefore plan in a degree of flexibility and adaptability into whatever we're designing, the places and spaces that, that we're creating so that um, we can adjust to the changing needs of, of different audiences. And this special report um, is called Reawakened Spaces, which uh, essentially looks at how COVID-19 has impacted on the built environment and our usage of it, but importantly looks at the positives of reawakening and reopening. What are the opportunities? How has the expectations of the market changed? And what will that look like in the future? Each city is unique, each place is unique within that city but also then you overlay the element of COVID-19 and you understand that everyone's lot that they're dealing with is is quite um, distinctive, it's unique as well. Um, And therefore the response is gonna be unique. Um, So we want to speak to four different designers in different locations to understand what was being done in each of those cities in response to these types of trends, to the opportunities that are arising as a result of COVID-19. Um, so from Shanghai, we're going to be joined by urban designer Chong Wang. From London, we've got landscape architect Angus Bruce. From San Francisco, we've got urban designer Richard Mullane. And from Sydney, Liz Westgarth. Thank you all for coming together for this chat today. Um, I'm going to start with something positive because we've heard so much about the negatives associated with COVID-19. And I wanted to ask you what you think is going to be the most positive thing that will arise from COVID-19. Um, And Richard, I'm going to ask that question of you first in San Francisco. Surely there's been some positives that have come out of that situation, the difficult situation that you find yourself in. I think there's been a shift in what people think is possible. And I think it's really about resilience. I mean, like a lot of 
the conversations that I have in the work we do here is around sea level rise, climate change. It's often a difficult thing to talk to people about because they don't think it's possible for us to adapt our way of life. And that's been proven to not be the case. So I think that, that there's huge potential um, for people to think about a whole other scale of change in the city. And there's, you know, projects being thought about and transformation being thought about that just wouldn't have been on the table six months ago. And Angus, what's the most positive thing that will arise from COVID-19 for you? As a landscape architect, I see the value of the public space being exponentially uh, increased in importance. Um, it's not just simply the leftover or the in-between of some other form or other function, that it's actually got a significant financial and, importantly, social value. Um, so I'm seeing this shift as a blend with both climate impact uh, and COVID as changing the perspective of government, of clients and of communities around the value of public space. Within the research, what we're seeing is an emerging trend globally for people to be more socially connected within their residential communities. And it's understandable considering that um, this is such a, a global challenge in terms of how do we support each person when we need to remain separate. Um, so if you think about that idea of, you know, staying apart together, that's very much um, in line with supportive systems in this trend that we're seeing emerge. Now, Angus, you're, you're in London. Um, what sorts of uh, examples of supportive networks can, can you see and, and how do you think that that's going to change London um, in the future? Um, we, we tend to have cities with big, lump, solve-it-all green spaces and um, the, the small, intimate moment spaces, a park bench that isn't necessarily attached to a bus stop or on a major, major road. You can actually have nooks and crannies in the city that are not uh, issues of risk and safety of an evening or whatever else, but there are moments that are planned and intentional. They're not left over because the building footprint couldn't take it over or whatever, and they're accidental as a negative result of the architecture or the built form, but they're actually intentional quality public spaces but they're they're small and they're intimate and they allow for three people to sit together and have a chat not on the one bench they could actually be facing each other heaven forbid now we're going to go back to shanghai and i wanted to ask chong how do you think that supportive systems will play into or influence how you design spaces in the future it's going to be a finer grain if you like so we, we want to have all the functions within say a kilometer people can actually walk within 10 to 15 minutes because you know the, the bigger bigger the scale is and and then the it, it actually brings different sort of energy and different uh, concentration or centrality around them whereas if you break it down into your neighborhood and it just brings means that everything is more walkable uh, and more accessible and more kind of a neighborhood um, focused and certainly that's what we found in the report, that a lot of those old-fashioned values are actually resurfacing. I think now we have the opportunity to, to re-question how we want to live our lives and, and find value in, in places that we didn't previously, such as those sorts of um, social networks and the resilience of those networks. 
So the second theme is around this idea of recalibrated spaces, which is really interesting because it's been emerging for a number of years. We've seen it start in the retail sector with the advent of online retail sort of changing how larger spaces, anchor spaces within malls work and how they're repurposed. And we've seen now with COVID-19 that this sort of recalibrated spaces trend has become really widespread, particularly with um, large-scale infrastructure like stadiums and airports and so on. Um, the classic example is is a stadium being repurposed as a hospital or, a, or an event hall and conference centre being repurposed for health or medical needs. But there's also examples of much smaller scale repurposing going on in more organic ways. So we might have local authorities and councils working to repurpose outdoor spaces and pocket parks to provide that sort of local amenity that hasn't been required in the past. But because we're living and working so close to home, those sorts of things now have value. And it's quite interesting because anyone can get involved in this trend. It doesn't require you to own or operate a physical space, you can just be a, an engaged citizen and repurpose spaces. Um, so that idea of tactical urbanism certainly relates back to this trend. Richard, um, you have a particular interest in designing for resilience. Um, and I think that repurposing spaces is all about resilience, being able to explore new opportunities. Um, so can you give us some examples of what's happening in San Francisco related to this trend? The biggest one is is the use of streets, and I think it's a really positive trend. It's sort of like businesses taking over space um, within uh, the sidewalk um, or within you know the parking lane, but also just the slow streets movement, which has um, uh, really taken over in many cities here. I think Oakland uh, was the leader in that, but San Francisco has also converted a number of streets to be neighbourhood streets, and they've. Um, stopped cars going down those streets. They're essentially reserved for bikes and, and for exercise, you know, people jogging. And what about you in Sydney, Liz? What's happening around um, recalibrated spaces for you? I agree with what Richard's saying. We've seen that here locally in Sydney that, you know, people are sort of overtaking the streets. I live in a cul-de-sac and the kids are all out in the street, drawing on the road, playing cricket in the cul-de-sac. It's sort of become um, the new playground and particularly was so important for them to get outdoors and get some um, exercise when, you know, playgrounds were shut down. The other sort of interesting thing about recalibrated spaces, I think, is seeing um, how parking lots or, or parking areas in particular have been used. Um, as pop-up testing facilities, um, which we're seeing in Sydney as well. Hmm. I'm also seeing a range of dormant land, which might have been um, hoarded off. It's owned by the council or the borough or the county, um, where the hoarding being removed and communities are allowed to take claim on them. So if they don't have a local playground, they're setting up their own local play and veggie patch. So it's a little bit community a little bit uh, homegrown produce, a little bit kids' uh, recreation in what would have otherwise just been a, um, a disuse, you know, car spot on the corner or so forth. Mobility is obviously something that cities have been facing for quite some time in terms of what does mobility look like in the 21st century. What we're seeing as a result of COVID-19 is that obviously people need to remain um, separated from, from others. So it's challenging that idea of kind of close confines, mass public transport, and it's really hastening the, the trend around individual automated transport, um, which 
we're seeing um, obviously emerge slowly. It's, it's basically bringing that trend to the fore more quickly. So in terms of mobility, it's probably one of the trends that really um, varies in terms of its, its application across different cities. So in Shanghai, a city of, of 20 plus million people, um, large numbers of people need to move in and around the city. There's an undeniable requirement that they can't just ditch public transport, mass public transport in the way in which other cities possibly can. Um, so for them, the challenge is around how you move um, those sorts of numbers, but with a different sort of decentralized network. How do you see mobility changing how you're living in the city, John? Uh, and unfortunately, Shanghai doesn't have yet the, the infrastructure uh, for people to, to, to change the, the, the transport mode. I mean, in general, you know, in our work and in how we sort of talk to the government um, in, in new city planning or, you know, uh, a city renew um, projects, we do really wanting to promote more of those sort of walkable, cyclable um, streets and infrastructure. Whereas for smaller cities where you don't have that sort of intense requirement, um, you can pick up the slack with individual private transportation. So we're seeing higher rates of cycling, walking, keeping things local, um, as well as the idea of um, exploring autonomous vehicles, um, which obviously um, gets around the COVID safe requirements. So cities like San Francisco that are well, well known for their um, technology uptake um, are cities where we might see that sort of trend emerge first. Yeah, I think we're all much more conscious that we want to be in a walkable or a cyclable um, city. I pretty much stick to a 5k radius. Um, I, I rarely use the car, haven't got on public transport for a long time actually. The New South Wales government has announced new pop-up cycleways to really encourage um, that mode of transport um, to work. And they've also started to pilot sort of low speed zones as well, really, you know, around putting sort of people first. So the fourth trend that we're going to talk about today is around the idea of slowed down culture. Um, so again, this is something that's been emerging for a while, but people are, are really seeking out these sorts of experiences of a slowed down lifestyle. Originally, we saw it emerge around travel and food, um, and now we're seeing it emerge around how people live their lives in physical spaces. So what we spend our time doing, the idea of going for long, slow walks within our neighborhood, for instance, is a really simple example of this sort of thing from a behavioral point of view. So something that works kind of counter to this is the idea of having limited bookings within a restaurant in terms of time, having to rush out of a place um, certainly isn't very COVID-19 friendly. So what we might see in the future is some examples of places where we have um, uh, the opportunity to linger and to dwell more, that um, extra stimulation is taken out of places and spaces, that we limit the numbers of people for pure enjoyment. And we're seeing examples of this sort of thing already happening as a result of maintaining COVID safe practices. So zoos and other theme parks and recreational facilities are limiting the number of people. And people are suddenly experiencing the fact that these places can be more pleasurable without the hustle and bustle. Richard, from your home in San Francisco, how are you seeing slow culture um, manifest itself on the street? 
we were talking about bikes, even to, to get a bike on Amazon now, which delivers within two hours. That sort of stopped because of demand and now is a three-week wait because of just how popular they've been. So I think people just have come to terms with that, which I think is a great thing. <laughs> um, and, and it's sort of shifted priorities a little bit, even in San Francisco from, um, you know, to not be such a here now you know, um, type of culture. Chong, Shanghai is such a busy city all of the time. I can't imagine it's slowing down. Is this trend showing itself there at all? Um, I love to say we feel there's a lot of slowdown. I guess it's probably presents itself in a different way. It's like there's one hand, you know, there's still high efficiency in terms of, you know, economic um, activities and expectation from how generally things are going. Um, but then there's also an awareness of this health and um, social and also a bit more around those sort of leisure as, uh, and needs. So that in a way that people are still working um, and, and, and really hard and I guess it's still running very fast uh, and this city, Shanghai is still quite a busy city. But at the same time, I think people are just a bit more aware of spending um, time with the family uh, because you have to, you know, um, because, this, for example, the schools um, were closed for a period. Generally, that people have to, to sort of finding that balance between the very fast moving rhythm and then look after um, the basic needs. This particular period of time has forced us to rethink um, everything that we believed previously. Um, I'm hopeful that it's going to be a really exciting renaissance period where we're able to question what we're doing, where we're able to redefine what physical spaces and places need to provide people with, that we're more open-minded around the experiences that are provided in certain places and we're less fixated on the use of a particular building or space that we look at it as being um, something that needs to be blended in its use and, and what it's doing for its local community. I wanted to thank the four participants today, Chong in Shanghai, Angus, who is in London, as well as Richard in San Francisco and Liz in Sydney. I wanted to thank you all for your time and your insight today. The Brickfields Report Reawaken Spaces examines the innovations coming out of COVID-19 and the implications for property owners and operators of public space. It is available on the Brickfields website at brickfields.com. I'm Liz Westgarth and you've been listening to an episode of Hassle Talks. If you've enjoyed this conversation and would like to hear more, please subscribe and check out other episodes. Thanks for listening.